Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. I am Hercules Invictus, and I am your host, and I'm honored to announce that we've done some reshuffling of our programming, and uh, we have moved Ron Carson's Coliseum to this new date and time, Um, and uh, without further ado, I will welcome Ron Carson. Greetings and welcome. How are you? Yes, Hercules. Uh, I'm doing okay. Thank you very much for asking. I'm, I'm glad, glad to hear that. We're on a little earlier than scheduled these days. Yes, we're finally able to do that. So I'm glad we finally got to do it. Yes, uh, being that I've worked all day and uh, I uh, had to kill some time here at the uh, Radio Ranch, I figured uh, 9 o'clock would be a little more uh, of a better, you know, starting time to open the doors to our Coliseum and have we picked a good peplum film to talk about today? I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. Submitted for your approval because uh, this has some uh, Greek mythological overtones, and we're talking okay. about the original version of Clash of the Titans. Ah, I love that movie. So do I. I mean, the cover version that came out in 2010 was not as good as the real McCoy. It was mm-hmm. released uh, almost 40 years ago in 1981, and uh, I thought there was something more magical with the original than there was the uh, cover, you know? Right. But uh, this was a uh, movie that pretty much uh, identified the uh, parameters of what we uh, studied and know about the essence of Greek mythology. A lot of the elements were intertwined in this picture as well, which is directed by Desmond Davis. And some uh, very impressive people starred in this film, including Harry Hamlin in the title role of Perseus. Uh, Other folks might remember him as the star of the NBC drama L.A. Law, which came out in the latter part of that decade. Yep. Um, Good old Penguin, Burgess Meredith, was Ammon in this picture. 
the uh, legendary Maggie Smith played Thetis. Sian Phillips was Cassiopeia. Claire Bloom, another big name in movies, was Era. The lovely Ursula Andress portrayed Aphrodite. Uh, how can you go wrong with Sir Lawrence Olivier as Zeus? Pat Roach, a uh, character actor, played uh, Ara, god that is associated with our native land of Limnos, Hephaestus. Uh-huh. And Suzanne Fleetwood was Athena, and Jack Willem as Poseidon. So there was your cast. I mean, how could you go wrong with a uh, plethora of actors that very much um, graced the screen for decades and were very familiar faces to us, which made this movie a success, in my opinion. And Clash of the Titans did very well at theaters nationwide, grossing $41 million at the box office here in the United States and Canada alone. Wow. That proves to you that... uh, the film also introduced a lot of people to the realm of Greek mythology. Right. It also was a plus because a lot of people, you know, being that you and I are of Greek descent, <laughs> we studied the uh, mythological characters, we read up on them, and uh, we have uh, associations with them through our homeland and through the entire country. But it opened the door for an audience who is not from Greece to pretty much familiarize themselves with this realm of uh, history or fantasy, either whichever you prefer. Whichever you prefer. But as you know, the plot of the movie does focus on uh, the adventures of Perseus, and it was all pretty much uh, Harry Hamlin's uh, vehicle to get himself established as an actor. And by all means, he's definitely succeeded on that in more ways than one. Now, if you notice, there were some very nice locations in Europe where this picture was shot, including the karst area in El Torcal de Antequera over in Spain, also Mm -hmm. the Azure Window in Malta, and in the United Kingdom, they uh, shot parts of the movie in the Cornwall section of England and at the Albert R. Broccoli 007 stage at Pinewood Studios where they used to do the James Bond films. Wow. And I was yeah, nervous. And, and also in Pastum, Italy, they actually did a couple of uh, scenes in that uh, particular part of the country as well. So you figure Spain, Malta, Italy, and Britain. So... The cast moved around quite a bit to uh, accomplish this picture in more yes, ways than it one. And it, it was, it's an immortal picture. It had a sequel. A lot of people don't know that, but it had an uh, animated sequel done many years later. Yes. Uh, eventually, uh, it did become um, the first of four-issue comic books miniseries, Wrath of the Titans. Yes. And this was part of the Ray Harryhausen signature series who was a very big graphic artist and uh, he contributed quite a bit to this original picture as well and the critics very much uh, acknowledge that as uh, too in more ways than one but um, in the beginning of the movie um, Zeus pretty much um, banishes his King Acretius's daughter Danae and 
Perseus was the newborn grandson, and then Zeus uh, orders Poseidon to release the last of the Titans. Now, there's quite a few scary sea monsters and uh, deities in this particular movie that, you know, were not, it was not for the young, you know what I mean? It pretty much was an adults-only picture. Well, not in the way most children probably would have It was more mature than most of uh, that type of fear, uh, but it, it wasn't, uh, I don't want people to think it was an R-rated or X-rated uh, movie. Oh, no, it was a PG film. It was a PG film, yeah. but, you know, the, uh, the younger children at that time probably would have been freaked out by it, because I do remember hearing some screaming when I saw it in the movies. So, <laughs> excuse me. Sure. So anyway, um, the film also focuses on the son of the sea goddess Thetis, Calibos, mm-hmm. who turns out to be uh, Perseus's foe throughout the picture. And hmm, Zeus transformed him into a deformed, monstrous, satyr-like creature. And Perseus also seeked uh, the wisdom of Ammon. Of course, we're talking about the one and only Burgess Meredith, Penguin from Batman who uh, also at that time was uh, Sylvester Stallone's trainer in the Rocky movies, yes, too. Rocky. Correct. And then, you know, Zeus was very, very helpful in Perseus throughout his quests as he was given a God-crafted helmet from Athena, and he was able to become invisible, if you remember, in some portions of the movie. Yes, I remember. And he got a magical sword from Aphrodite and a shield from Era. And he pretty much captured Pegasus, but Pegasus became a sidekick, if you recall. His loyal and trusty sidekick. Mm-hmm. And yeah. basically, um, Perseus was at odds with Calibos, and that was pretty much uh, his another one of his foes throughout the picture besides the uh the monsters that he had to encounter but uh Zeus had him answer a riddle and he wound up marrying Andromeda if you recall yes and Thetis was very very uh against the union and he basically was uh also in battle to be sacrificed to a Kraken, if you remember that character. Oh, of course. How can I forget? <clears throat> now, Athena gave Perseus another sidekick, the talking owl Bubo. I remember Bubo, too. Yes, and Hephaestus had to uh, build a golden replica of the owl, who leads Perseus to the Stygian witches, which he had to make a uh, battle with, but the classic scene, of course, was when he goes after the head of Medusa, the Gorgon, who lives yes. on an island on the river Styx, and he eventually becomes successful in that quest, if you remember. I remember. But again, Calibos enter, you know, the foe of the picture. He pretty much... Uh, He pretty much, the, the words that I'm trying to say, uh, punctured the cloak that carried Medusa's head. And as a result, three giant scorpions came into the picture. And they weren't small either, if you remember. 
That uh, movie then, has etched in my neurons. Uh, I've seen it so many times. Well, Calabos met his fate because of the Scorpions, if you recall. Mm-hmm. And then later on, uh, Bubo was instrumental in re- in rescuing Pegasus from Calabos's henchmen. And then finally, at the end, Perseus brings Zeus the Kraken with Medusa's head, and then it crumbled into pieces. And then finally, he, he, he frees Andromeda and becomes, you know, they become a married couple, if you remember. And then uh, Zeus wanted him to live happily ever after with her, uh, produce children, and then forgave, forbade the other gods to pursue any future revenge against them. So pretty much uh, it was a very, very exciting, but, you know, gripping film, if you remember. I mean, those special effects were just absolutely fantastic. Uh, but Rotten Tomatoes, if you remember called the movie a goofy old sword and sandal epic that mines Greek mythology and fleshes it out. But Ray Harryhausen's archaic animation techniques definitely were uh, high value to all those that reviewed the movie. And uh, Siskel and Ebert at the time uh, thought that uh, this was a grand and glorious epic adventure. Uh, the special effects, they said, were absolutely old-fashioned, based on the legends of Greek mythology. In other words, they were true to the uh, aspects of the stories that we were, you know, studying and listening and talking about when we were out in the homeland, too, if you recall. Oh, yes, I I definitely recall. And uh, how did you like the remake of it? They made the remake and a remake. remake. I didn't care for it, if you want the truth. It was given to me as a Christmas gift by a mutual friend of ours. Okay. And I took a look at the uh, cover version, which was released in 3D at theaters about 10 years ago, but it just didn't appeal to me as the real McCoy. I think the original definitely won the battle hands down in more ways than one. Yeah, yeah I, li- I like those, uh, as this Libra called, those goofy sword and sandal elements. That's what made the movie. It was uh, Yeah, that's uh, what Rotten Tomatoes called it, a goofy sword and sandal picture, but it did keep the aspect of Greek mythology in the story. And like I said, Mr. Harryhausen's uh, animation was definitely uh, highly uh, respected by the audience and critics alike, and he did a pretty good job, you know giving us a nice little tremble here and there in this particular picture. Yes, uh, Harryhausen did uh, a great job, and it was my great honor to meet him uh, while he was still here among us, and I got to thank him oh, for... Really? Uh, yes, uh, that interview is on uh, YouTube um, when I had my I television have to check that out. I have to check and, that out, uh, I mean, I didn't realize that you met him. Yes, and uh, uh, after I finished my interview with him, uh, a short while later, he flew out uh, to George Lucas's uh, ranch. Um, what do you call it? <laughs> so it was pretty surreal. But I got to I got to meet him. I got to talk to him. I got to interview him, and uh, he was a very nice person uh, with a vision. Um, and uh, like all of us, he made uh, mistakes in life, and he was. Uh, you know, very generous in sharing the mistakes uh, that he made. Uh, he had said that one of the uh, uh, problems he had was that he never mastered money. So that, uh, you know, despite all that he had done, he he experienced a much harder life than 
um, he would have had he mastered money. So he advised uh, all our listeners to learn what they can about money and how to master it. Well, no doubt about it, he was successful in the uh, efforts that were given in this picture because uh, critics and audiences alike definitely praised his uh, animation technique in this movie. And yeah. like I said, he was able to manage to give us a tremble here and there in this particular. I mean, I, I, I got a little spine tingler out of this uh, picture also. And I own the, uh, both the original and the cover on DVD. But like I said, I can definitely muster the 1981 film more than the one in 2010. And uh, um, do you foresee any remakes uh, being made after the two new ones, the, which are remakes of the old ones? Uh, PlayStation mm. 3 had a video game in which you could be... Uh, um, Perseus, and you got to fight the monsters uh, from the movies. Yes. Uh, I, I heard nothing more about it uh, after that, so that seemed to be it. Uh, that in the same uh, caliber as you, because I have not heard a thing about any remakes of games on video and everything, but um, I think they uh, want to just preserve the legacy of this particular picture. And uh, I think it was a well-acted movie. I think it was a very well-executed film. I mean, the uh, scenery was just delightful. The uh, portrayal of the characters was uh, to the penny, in my opinion, because of the fact that this was very much a, uh, a a learning point for the audience that was not familiar with the mythological aspect of Peplum. They pretty much got a good education out of watching Clash of the Titans. Yes, uh, I, I can see that. And I remember the toys too. Uh, I remember they had the Kraken that was an oversized to toy, and then they had little like Star Wars yes. uh, signs, uh, uh, Perseus and Calibos, and uh, um, yeah. I, I don't think and I ever owned that too. Yes, yes. If you remember, they had one with the Medusa's head that looked pretty much originally like the uh, one in the picture too. I mean, that was very, very big facsimile, if you ask me, and. Uh, the Medusa scene was pretty scary, if you ask me. Now, they took I mean, liberties with the myths, even though it was a great uh, um, uh, example, a sterling example of uh, the sword and sandal uh, genre. Uh, they took some liberties yeah. uh, with uh, the myths. Like, for instance, Pegasus uh, was actually born um, of the blood from Medusa's uh, head. Correct. Um, as he as he flew to Ethiopia uh, with Andromeda, and uh, mm -hmm. um, Andromeda and her people were identified as Ethiopians. Uh, so yes, um, well, Pegasus befriends uh, Perseus, if you remember, and yes. uh, he comes to his rescue with Bobo the, uh, the owl. And uh, I, I really like the idea that the owl talked in that movie. Mm hmm. Yeah, people either love the owl. The, the, the owl doesn't have any, uh, uh, it either has fans or uh, enemies uh, uh, who feel well, very strongly. You were fans of the owl for sure. They had a boobo too, yes. We were definitely fans of the owl. I thought the owl was provided a little bit of comic relief in the picture too. Uh huh. Because he had a couple of one liners too, if you recall. Mm hmm. But I found the owl to be very entertaining in that movie. I don't know why people resented him in some way, shape, or form. 
Um, and the rumor has it, from what I hear, is when our native Greece was showing this cinematic epic, they embraced it, believe it or not. Our uh, nationality, our people, really, really thought that was a very well-done movie. Because eventually yeah, I, I, they wind up, the movies wind up overseas, and definitely when uh, this was take this was shown in Greece, I mean movie theaters in Athens were packed to the brim to actually see this back in the eighties. That must have been very surreal. I, I caught uh, some peplum films in Greece, uh, and uh, they weren't mm-hmm. uh, dubbed in English; they were dubbed in Greek, uh, and uh, yeah. I noticed differences in the story, you know, just by the, the, the way they translated it. Um, but uh, that, must have been, uh, that must have been something to catch that there in Greek. I, now I have to quest to see if there are Greek versions of it. <laughs> yeah, that would have been cool if we were out one summer in the 80s and that was playing at a movie theater. You and I would have definitely been in the crowd to watch that. But probably it would have been English with the Greek subtitles, like they always do with a lot of the movies. Yeah, probably. But the, uh, you know, Greek people did embrace the picture. I remember they did enjoy it. They thought that it was, you know, a little campy. But that's another word that you could describe Clash of the Titans. It was a campy picture in more ways than one. But to say that that our natives in our homeland actually loved the movie that was like a badge of honor right there in itself because being it was the birthplace of mythology mm-hmm. and now like i said theaters were packed in athens the saloniki all the big cities that around the country they actually did uh bring a good crowd when it was released finally in greece and uh, that's the that's the buzz i got in regard to clash of the titans about the remake, I don't know, but about the original movie, they did like the uh, 1981 version, for sure. Now, I, there aren't that many Peplum films uh, coming out uh, these days, so I guess we have to wait for uh, a film that will uh, draw a lot of people and then you know, uh, encourage people to uh, restart uh, Peplum. Uh, a lot of mm-hmm. folks didn't enjoy the most recent offerings like uh, the rocks or Hercules. I happen to enjoy that uh, though. I, I, I enjoy Peplum, whatever it's form. And uh, even if the movie uh, has some weak points, I still enjoy it because I love the genre. So uh, um, yeah, well, this is why I picked this particular picture because Peplum movies weren't very rampant in the early eighties. If you remember. Yes. And barbarian movies. It kept the genre alive, you know, by releasing this picture. That's my thought. And eventually, uh, there were some other Peplum movies around that era. I remember the year before seeing Caligula and almost uh, getting sick in the theater, <laughs> more ways than one. I don't know if you've seen it in the theater or not. Yeah, I've seen Caligula. I think I've got on DVD somewhere in a box uh, at this point. I, that's one. That's one sword and sandal film I wouldn't own on DVD. Because it was just so gross, <laughs> it was just so so repulsive to watch. But they did pick a good, you know, actor to portray this madman. Malcolm McDowell did do a good job, I think, in my opinion. 
it's a curiosity now because they couldn't make a movie like that these days. So it, it was a, a product of its uh, times and, uh, you know, a curiosity. Uh, um, so for that uh, reason alone, uh, I value it as part of my uh, collection. Uh, it was just so different. And, yeah, uh, I know you have the DVD of Caligula. I saw it when uh, you were rearranging stuff. Mm-hmm. One time when I came down in Jersey, and you might recall Malcolm McDowell is like the the evil twin of Sting, the lead singer of the Police. They look similar, yes. They look so alike; it's like the resemblance is so uncanny between the two of them. You, everybody thought that that was Sting doing the movie. <laughs> well, Sting killed the Police were becoming popular. Uh huh. Yeah, you were yeah. saying about Sting right now. Uh, no, I, I got him confused with Malcolm McDowell. So uh, Malcolm McDowell also killed uh, Captain Kirk. Uh, yes, in, yes uh, in one of the Star in Trek pictures. Star yes. Trek Generations, yes. I remember so that, just, uh, just goes to show you're right, because I thought it was Sting. But then when I thought about it, uh, as I was talking about it... <laughs> they are that. dead ringers, if you notice, both of them. I mean, it's like you can't tell the two of them apart. That would make an interesting theory. Yeah, and around that time, the police were very popular worldwide in music, if you remember, too. And then eventually Sting would wind up going solo, and it's like, to this day, I still play music from the police and Sting on the radio, too, and visions of Malcolm McDowell still pop into my head. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> But now, a lot of people, people, people. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, a lot of people uh, don't know. Uh, we've talked about it before, but uh, Limnos, where we're from, is the island of the Amazons, where Jason and the Argonauts uh, landed. And yes. that's uh, portrayed in the Jason and the Argonauts uh, Harryhausen film. Uh, and in fact, mm-hmm. uh, someone in our family is named Jason after that uh, famous uh, Argonaut. Uh, that's so, our, uh, our cousin, our cousin, yes. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but I kind of like the idea that they incorporated Hephaestus in the movie too. Right, because we have the Hephaestia. Uh, Limnos is where Hephaestus fell when uh, uh, Zeus right. threw him off Mount Olympus. He fell and uh, he fell into the waters near Limnos. Uh, he was rescued mm-hmm. by uh, sea nymphs. And then he established his uh, famed forge on Livnos uh, inside a uh, volcano. And they made Zeus's yes. thunderbolts. And that's where Prometheus stole the fire that he shared with humanity and got in trouble uh, for. So it's a, it's a land rich in uh, mythology, um, most of which correct. have not been explored in film. So I'm hoping someday that uh, uh, we get to see uh, some uh, Lemnian epics uh, because uh, a lot happened there, uh, even before history and the time of legend, you know, into the time of myth and prehistory. Well, we made treks in the uh, old country to see some of the areas where, you know, mythology was very rampant in our island, if you recall. Poljochny, yes, one of the oldest cities in Yeah, just outside Kaminia, where our grandmother was uh, born. Yes. And uh, our grandmother was not from Mudros, she was from Kaminia, if you remember, which was not that far from Poyokti. Yeah, we used to walk to all those towns and uh, through the fields, up the mountains, and uh, all over the place. 
Well, the last trip that we did together back in the early 90s, we made that journey to Poyoki, if you recall. Yes. We even took pictures and everything. So uh, so that was like a really nice way of sharing the history and the culture that we were pretty much uh, accustomed to. And we finally learned on our own about the uh, hot spots in Limnos where Greek mythology actually played a role. Right, there was Philoctetes. Uh, uh, he, on his way to the Trojan uh, War, uh, when they stopped at uh, Limnos, got bitten by a snake, and his wound yeah. festered, so they left him there, and he grew very bitter. So when a prophecy was made that Odysseus needed his bow uh, so that the Trojans could be defeated, uh, Philoctetes was not uh, inclined to give it to him. Uh, but Hercules, who died and was newly uh, made a, a full Olympian, um, he came down from Olympus and uh, encouraged Philoctetes to give the Greeks uh, his bow. If you remember, Philoctetes was very instrumental in the uh, 90s cartoon of Hercules, and it was voiced by the one and only Danny DeVito. Yes, they, they made him into a satyr, though. The original Philoctetes was a warrior and a companion of uh, Hercules. Correct. But Disney wasn't too true to the original form of the story. No, no, he wasn't. They took uh, Hiron, uh, the centaur, and they turned him into yeah. Philoctetes uh, or Phil, uh, the satyr. Uh, Hercules' legendary yeah. journeys did the same thing. Initially, uh, uh, they made Hiron into a uh, satyr. And then later on, they introduced a different version of him that was a centaur. And before they mm -hmm. get then... They introduced a centaur teacher, but his name was Caridian. So I don't know, you you know, know what that was. You know who stole that movie? You know who stole who? that film? James Woods. Which movie? The cartoon I'm talking about, Hercules. Oh, the cartoon? Yeah. He was yeah. uh, Daedalus? Yes. He was actually the one that stole that movie, I thought, in my opinion. Yeah, there were... Uh, there's... Uh, a bunch of uh, movies were made recently, very low budget, but so somebody made a version of uh, uh, Theseus and the Minotaur. Um, and, yes, uh, I didn't I'm hear about that. I didn't hear about that. Yes, and I'm waiting for it to come in the mail, but Minos, the guy who played Minos, uh, he yeah. seems to borrow the performance uh, from Daedalus in the, the Mighty Hercules uh, cartoon. So <laughs> um, I'll I mean, let you know how that's... Do you a copy uh, of the cartoon on DVD? Um... I might have it on VHS, um, oh, okay. and uh, I don't know if I have it on DVD, but if I have, I haven't, I haven't seen it in years, but I do have it on VHS. Uh, I don't have a VHS player at present. Uh, I had all of them on VHS, but they corroded. Um, so oh, really? I remember yeah, wanting to watch one. It, it, it wouldn't play anymore. Play, it was so distorted that uh, it wasn't worth uh, watching, and then uh, it got stuck mm -hmm. on the uh, winders in my uh, VHS player, and oh, it, it boy. ripped. Oh boy! And then the VCR got tossed. Yeah, the VCR and the DVD and the and the VHS. So uh, anyway, I still have my VCR, if you can believe it. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for it. In one of my closets in my uh, in my current apartment, but I still have my old VCR. And Do you have still a have my videotapes. I won't. I won't part with them. Do you have a Blu-ray player? No, I don't have Blu-ray. I'm, uh, I, I'm just a, 
I'm I'm up to DVD. That's basically a DVD is as far as I go. So there. Blu-ray. That means I got to get a new collection. I got yes. a player. So you know, in time maybe when you know economics is a little bit better for me, I could probably invest in that. But for now, we're we're VHS and DVD. That's basically it. So now. I'm sure you want a review of a uh, peplum group. Uh, yes, I do. Finish. Well, we are familiar with the peplum TV page, which you and I yeah. have liked. Um, of course, our good buddies Nick Whale and Stephen Smith also are part of that group. And by the way, if you really want to get into the uh, meat of the sword and sandal genre, by all means... Join Nick and Steve's groups. They will accept you in two seconds because it's a pleasure to go and take a stroll down memory lane. And, of course, the two words that I love, drama-free. Yes, it's an awesome uh, group to belong to, Peplum Paradise. And their other groups are great, uh, uh, too. And in one of the groups, you can see them working on their magnum opus, the work they've been uh, plugging yes. away at for very many years. I can't wait till that's uh, published. Um, well, you but, know something, uh, they, uh, they're just as loyal and true to the genre as we are, and, you know, kudos always to Nick and Steve. But Peplum, Peplum TV is a page where it pretty much is stills, you know, from all the various sword and sandal epic films from uh, way back when until today. And it's more of a page where you can comment and share your memories with, but if you are, you know, as a big fan of the peplum genre as we are, by all means, definitely uh, hit the like page. You don't need approval for the peplum TV group. That's a, that's a like page. Oh, awesome. Okay. So all you got to do is hit like on it and go ahead and uh, scroll down and you can see all these fantastic pictures and all these fantastic uh, moments that grace the silver screen with this magical genre that we uh, continue to embrace in this so-called 21st century, which is still a nice remnant of our past. It's one that will never go away in your eyes or my eyes. Most certainly so. Um, Okay. So we talked about uh, the film and that was an excellent film you chose. We talked about growing up Greek during the Peplum uh, era and the effect yes. that these films had on our uh, childhoods and in our culture, the pop culture of uh, uh, 1960s, 70s, and 80s uh, Greece. Uh, and yes. you introduced uh, a, uh, a peplum uh, group that people can visit on Facebook. And I'm going to be promoting uh, uh, that uh, between the show and the next show during the commercial break. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So... You belong to many peplum groups, and I believe you're more active in them than I currently uh, can be. Uh, and yes. uh, I, uh, well, I like to like I like I hit like on a lot of stuff. I sometimes will make a comment or two, but it is definitely uh, a stroll down memory lane for me. That uh, you know, like I said, Nick and Steve with their group, you, you have to get accepted to go into their uh, page, but right. automatically bring people in there because they know that those that, you know, opt to go into this group are just as big, you know, aficionados of the sword and sandal genre, just like you and me are. So, 
and the groups are different, which is what I like too. Some groups uh, uh, post yes. uh, images. Some groups uh, post uh, uh, birth and uh, death dates. Uh, some groups post uh, mm -hmm. birthdays. Uh, some groups post uh, filmographies. So uh, you can never get bored because there's always some aspect of the films yeah. to explore. And uh, I've started my own peplum uh, group uh, called mm -hmm. Olympian Mythic Physique, where uh, uh, it's sharing workout information uh, because my workouts are based on these uh, peplum stars that uh, we grew up with and uh, also the inspirations for it, including uh, peplum films and uh, peplum stars and peplum groups. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so uh, um, that's a, a new uh, experiment that in order to further develop uh, our peplum segments here on the show, uh, because I have big plans for all this and we're getting there. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm looking I'm waiting with together. I'm waiting with bated breath, for one thing. Yep. I got another question before we finish up over here. Uh, sure. Do you model yourself on the workouts that the late great Steve Reeves did when he was Hercules? Um, yes and no. Um, I have Steve Reeves' uh, workouts. In fact, I've had um, uh, the person who is uh, uh, in charge of Steve Reeves' uh, legacy uh, on the show mm -hmm. many times uh, last year. Uh, so yes. I have read up on uh, Steve Reeves' exercise and workout routines, and I've incorporated some elements into my workouts. Um, Reg mm -hmm. Park, same thing. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Lou Ferrigno. You know, I've learned a lot from all the uh, Herculeses if they have information, and I try out their workouts. So that's a very long-winded answer to your question. But, yes, I – um, because these are the uh, archetypes that I grew up with and that uh, I've always sought to emulate a variety of uh, levels. Uh, any information on them, I'll read it and I'll try it out. Well, um, if you remember, Arnold was Conan, the barbarian. Yes, Hercules, Arnold Conan. Uh, yes, he was Hercules he was too. Another one of the, he was another of your uh, idols, I remember. Yeah, Arnold was Hercules in a movie called Hercules in New York, also known as Hercules oh, Goes Oh, yeah, yeah, now I remember. Yes, you, you definitely refreshed uh, my memory on that, for sure. Yes. Yes, that, that is definitely exactly the most popular film. I, I love the planet. Well, you were a fan of Schwarzenegger's when Pumping Iron came out in 77, I remember. Yes, uh, it was announced back then that uh, he was going to portray Conan. I couldn't think of anybody better to play Conan than uh, Arnold. Mm -hmm. That's right. I'll be back. <laughs> Most certainly and, so. Uh, and I guess now it's time for me to wrap things up. It's uh, 9.40. And, uh, yes, like and I our said, next uh, post is on the line. Uh, thank you so much, Ron. Uh, I'm glad you liked the new time we have. Uh, uh, oh, here yeah, from a whole lot better for me. And, and I all of my listeners uh, are welcome to uh, follow him here the um, fourth Monday of the month from 9 to 9.40 right. p.m. And the show is available on demand, so you can listen to Ron uh, at any time. And you can also listen to me on the radio. Uh, head over to WSBS.com for my midday mm -hmm. shift and Saturday mornings. And also, if you have the app on your telephone, you can download that for free and listen to uh, your hometown station via the uh, telephone or uh, mobile device or smartphone or tablet. 
So awesome. for those that are not in the immediate tri-state region where I'm broadcast on the radio dial, there are plenty of options to uh, take a listen to my show either by computer or by telephone, and it seems like, you know, we'll include you into the into the mix, so to speak, in more ways than one. Always a pleasure to uh, commit to kibitz with you about uh, this fantastic genre of movies and shows that we uh, still to this day keep in our heart forever and ever, and it'll never, never ever go away, Hercules. You know that already. Yes, I do. Thanks, Ron. Uh, I will see you at Thanksgiving, most likely. Uh, be well. Joyous journeys. Yes, probably, and, uh, if, not, or if not Thanksgiving, maybe earlier, I'll keep you uh, and Athena posted. Uh, again, Kalinikta to everybody. That means good night. And uh, thank you very much for uh, accommodating me in the earlier schedule, because now I can actually go home and call it a day, because <laughs> I'm still at work right now. Because where I live, we don't have very good cell service. So, I, I can understand. Here. Here, here in New Jersey, we have uh, problems of communication as well. Um, I'm going to play Cry Freedom by Bump Post Orchestra. Thanks a lot, Ron Carson. Joyous journeys and amazing adventures. And when we're back, yes. uh, launch of a new show, The Four Elements with Astrid. I look well. forward to getting more details on that. And uh, keep on rocking, my cuz. I love you. Love you too. Take care, cuz. Bye bye. All right, Kalinista. Bye bye. Kalinista. Bye bye.
sings the mystery of the all-expanding universe. Trust that brain behind your eyes to carve a space for us within the universal mind. And if it's up to us to bring some balance back, let it not be said it's courage that we Hercules Invictus, and I'm greatly honored to announce the launch of a new show, even though we um, prefaced it uh, through several other shows um, on our podcast. Here it is officially in its own uh, slot, and it is hosted by the legendary Astrid. Greetings and welcome, Astrid. How are you? Greetings, Hercules, or should I say, Kalinita. Kalinita, we'll say that at the end. I just love to hear that language. It brings me back to my trips to Greece. So as I caught part of the segment, your your last guest, and I'm hearing Kalanita, it just Mm -hmm. brought me back to the Placa and all the enjoyments in Syntagma Square. How many years ago? But it still lives on in my memory. And one day I'll invite you to share what you'd care to on one of the the shows. And this way I can... (laughs) Experience it through your eyes, and I'll share my memories as well. Oh, it would be wonderful. And I am so pleased that we're starting this new segment called The Four Elements. And with water, air, earth, and fire, although we have touched upon them here and there during um, other blogs, it's great that we're giving it its own separate little platform because it encompasses so much and it seemed to uh, we would always run out of time right and it deserves uh, especially the way our um, circumstances are unfolding it deserves to have a lot of time most definitely and uh, during our segment of the four elements what I'd like to talk about each time is the importance of the element Um, how we can be proactive and safety related to the elements. Of course, notify our listeners of relevant occurrences within nature that are happening. And uh, lastly, websites and bills presented to make listeners aware of information, resources to contact groups and or your representatives and senators, 
to make your feelings heard and to sign petitions or whatever need that you uh, the listeners need uh, to deal with in terms of keeping our elements as pure as we can, which seems to be going downhill lately. Yeah, yes. Uh, have you heard the report? Uh, it, it was on several YouTube videos. I haven't had a chance to, to track down other resources, but uh, what I heard was that our military um, is suggesting that if we don't make very drastic changes within 20 years, um, we'll be facing very serious difficulty. Most of our nation will be a desert. And we well, won't that's have- really interesting, Hercules, because this is these studies that have been done have mostly been by scientists and unfortunately have been uh, thrown to the wayside by the EPA and uh, the uh, resident within the White House in favor of of ignoring them in terms of propping up businesses and uh, lessening and out out uh, doing away with basically regulations that are set have been set in place all these years to protect right. the elements and all of us that need them to survive. And so now you're saying that the military is also involved with this. Right. From my understanding of uh, what I was uh, watching or listening to, depending on you know, where my attention was at the moment, um, our, our own military had prepared a report. Uh, and in the report, it said that uh, within, we have 20 years, basically, before we're living in a, a, an apocalypse movie. <laughs> like wow. Mad Max, except worse. Yes, yes. Most definitely. Anything, and there won't be water to drink or food to eat or uh, any of the stuff that we take for granted. We're living in paradise, and we don't appreciate it. Most uh, definitely, most definitely. And we always talk about the pendulum swing, how there has to be a balance. And, and usually uh, what happens is, you know, the um, rules, regulations, and, and the general attitudes will be will, will swing and go all the way to one side and then come back and then swing to the other side in terms of, of where the priorities lie. And that's what it comes down to, priorities, uh, which is the reason why it's so important for all of us to make our priorities known in terms of, of what is important. You know, is, is it, uh, you know, the stock market and having uh, certain corporations paying minimal in tax, or is it that we all, each one of us, be able to survive and value each human being in terms of their needs in order to survive? Oh, most certainly so. Um, we, we do need to uh, answer those questions. We need to uh, make some uh, decisions about whether life, being, whether life and being alive is important to us. And, you know, what's, re- what's really interesting, you know, we'll watch shows or we'll be listening to things or read things, and we pick up on a phrase. Right. And, and, and it brings us back to the things that matter. And I was watching, uh, it was a PBS show, and it was a Masterpiece. Uh, contemporary, whatever. It was one of these programs, but it's contemporary, so it's nowadays. And um, this one particular person, it's called The Press, is a, uh, um, works for a newspaper that's into doing things that are right and fair and doing things for the right reasons and putting out news that's true, not meant to sway people, whatever. Right. And uh, of course she's being wooed because she's so intelligent and a, a master researcher by the a, another newspaper 
And the head of this newspaper is just so obnoxious, will do anything. It's not about truth. And it's about getting listeners, viewers, readers. You know, it's that type of an attitude. Do something to pull the people in and then try to control them. And it just brings me back to so many of the things that we're seeing now or when people are blind to things that are going on because they want to believe a particular a theory or want to follow a particular person, irregardless of what the ethics or the conduct is of that person. And mm-hmm. this, she's sent by this one particular editor to uh, go to this place, and this man is there whom she was investigating and somehow managed to elude things by putting himself on the press, on, on television, saying things that would take away from the actual severity of his uh, crimes, which was abuse of a very young woman, while he was supposedly uh, putting programs forward for them. And she goes to this place, and she sees him there, and he basically is saying, it's not what you, you know, you're, you're living in your own little private world. He said, what you uh-huh. think is real is not real. But this is from his perspective, and he's saying it's about power. It's about I can do what I want to do because I have the magic and you don't. You know, and he's talking about look at the way you dress, look at what you wear, and da 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 da. And basically breaks her phone, sends her out. She's lucky she leaves with her life, and it stays in her mind. But that that phrase of the magic. My perspective, power, this is what it's about. I can do this, I can do that. And I could make sure you never even leave this place. And it doesn't matter whether it's right or it's wrong. It's my kind of magic. And that just stood out so much to me because we keep hearing it now. I can do what I want. I can go on Fifth Ave. I could shoot someone and no one would care. And these comments that are made are, why is it okay to, to say and do the things you do, whether it, it involves mankind and our elements or humiliating and totally denigrating another human being because you can. It makes you feel better. And the same with our elements, um, doing what you can because I have the power, I have the magic to make this money. And what does it matter if, you know, you see it as being an outrage? Right. Unbelievable. Really struck a chord. It really did. <laughs> I, I can see why. Uh, now, which are you going to uh, continue with the elements that you haven't uh, touched upon yet, or will we get a well, summary? I thought that we uh, would, following this format of doing, you know, the importance and the proactive safety measures and, and, and being aware of occurrences that are happening and, and different bills and websites that you can um, – um, hook up onto that will give the information. I think I'd really like to go start over with them and okay, do in depth, and then uh, some things will be repetitive, but they're they're important things. They're type they're of things that we should be reminded about. And of course, you know, I'm going to start with water because it is so important to us. That good old H2O, that oxygen, which makes up 60% of our bodies, 73. Mm-hmm percent of our brain and heart, lungs 84%, skin 64%, muscles wow. and kidneys 79%, bones 31%. It's amazing how much of us is composed of water. 
You know, we think basically of the liquids, you know, our blood, of course, but every aspect of us needs water to survive. And then they say that water, you know, we need to consume a certain amount to survive. And, of course, it varies according to your age and your gender and where you live. Um, men, adult men, they say about three liters, three, about around, a little more than three quarts. Women, 2.2 liters, that's about a little over two quarts. But you have to have it in terms of surviving. You need to drink liquids and have water contained in the food that we eat. It's, it's vital to every part of our, our body, the cells, which acts as the first building material. It regulates our body temperature. It, the carbohydrates and proteins that our bodies use as food are metabolized and transported by water in the bloodstream. It flushes waste. It acts as a shock absorber for the brain and the spinal cord. The fetus is floating in this fluid, forms saliva, lubricates joints. Wow. It's amazing. Yes. It's amazing, you know, how important it is and how much we rely on it. And because we rely on it so much, you know, we have to ensure that we're ingesting the most pure water possible, or I should say the least destructive water, because uh, as we've said before, there is so much about our water that's wrong, and we know that from, you know, the lead pipes, the the tap water that comes into our house if we have, uh, we're using that water facilities. If you have water in terms of, um, uh, like a lake or bodies of water, even the reservoir that's been contaminated, as we saw with Lake Apacon, one one of the few lakes you know that we've mentioned in the past, yeah. in terms of the algae due to the pesticides, and in uh, the situation of Lake Apacon, also the fact they have septic systems that are not maintained and herbicides besides the pesticides. Um, we don't realize the impact that we have upon the environment and how interrelated each element is. It's amazing because every time you look at all these different situations that are happening, we see there's an overlap. It's never just one element. It's one that's affecting the other, you know, our, our rainwater carrying the different chemicals into our drinking water. And then, of course, the bodies of water that are affected by um, by regulations in terms of these these large industries that are disposing of them right in the water or putting them in the earth. It's amazing. And now we see the EPA is actually looking to loosen and roll yeah. back the regulations of the Clean Water Act. Yes, that's that, that's scary. Given uh, how much we know uh, about what is currently unfolding and the fact that our, our deadline is coming up, uh, regardless sure. of science, care to believe, uh, this is coming up more and more and more. The the warnings have been coming for decades now. Right, and and uh, it was interesting as I started looking into um, protection of our water. Um, just drinking and bathing with it, just taking that aspect of water. Uh, uh-huh. We can talk more about water and the earth in terms of of, um, of what's happening there. 
next time we can we can just sort of piggyback onto it because they are so affected. But um, when you're testing for the water, you know we've been hearing about lead and all the pipes and the old pipes, and we hear about lead, but there are other elements within the water that are just as treacherous, such as chlorine, chloramines, mercury, the VOCs, which are um, different pollutants that are given off by um, products, pharmaceuticals. How many times we used to hear people say, "Oh, flush the uh, flush those old antibiotics and pills down the into the uh, toilet bowl." Well, not a good idea. No. And herbicides, pesticides, of course, cysts, which are parasites, and MTBEs, which are, you know, a wash-off and, and of um, different aspects of petroleum. So I was amazed at all the different things in there. I mean, and then we're talking about um, the Teflon that coated our, our pans. Oh, we were so happy we didn't have to worry about cleaning the pans anymore. Meanwhile, we find out, like, the... Uh, plants that manufactured the Teflon, a lot of that Teflon compound went into the water. Yes. Frightening in terms of the controls that were not there or total disregard of controls. Hoping they just won't get caught and that the water's not being tested. Because water does have to be tested. That's part of the Clean Water Act, that the water is constantly tested and they check it for particular particles in the water. Now, this is something that that we can do something about. Most um, definitely. We've talked about that in the past. And again, we'll, uh, a little reminder for those that, that, that didn't hear, is that you can have your water tested. And if you have a well, usually most people do test it because you don't know what the mineral uh, compounds are within the water. And uh, depending on on where the water is coming, because sometimes when you have a a drought, the the water will actually come from another area. You know, the the well will, the water will seek a different section of the uh, ground and the water will be pumped up from another point. It actually can become more sulfuric, more um, mineral content. So usually you will test it. And most people I know actually use those different charcoal filters for in the Mm -hmm. pitcher to clarify their water and also filter systems within their uh, house at home as well. But you can also have your water tested, sent out. You can get a little um, kit in most stores, or you can actually send out. They have different corporations you can get in touch with. But uh, a good idea when you're doing that is to make sure that it is a certified lab. When you send your, if you're sending for a kit, you want a certified lab doing also uh, testing it, and with that you can go to your to the EPA, and the website is www.epa.gov. Uh, greater than sign D W L A B C E R T, and I will send that to you later. Um, because it, it is important to, to, if you're going to have it tested that they're doing the job properly. Oh, most certainly so, because uh, uh, having bad information, as you mentioned earlier, not true information, uh, doesn't help 
make wise uh, decisions. So the more accurate your information, uh, the right. better. And another great site, there's two really phenomenal sites, and I will uh, send them to you later. And I know we've had them in the past, but one is called the foodandwaterwatch.org. Obviously, these are, you know, nonprofits. Winona Houter is the head of it, and, and always online you can get information up to the date, new information of what is going on. Uh, also, another one is ewg.org. And they have on it the most amazing things. They have the 2019 National Tap Water Database that you can actually go to them, go to their site, punch in your zip code, and they will uh, alert you in terms of what you should be watching for or whatever information for the area, that particular um, zip code. You can get information on it, what they're looking for, what you should watch out for. They also have a water filter guide on their site. So and that's great. Right, right. So they cover all their bases. EWG is just amazing. They really are in terms of of the information that they have there, um, the different aspects of it. I'm going to pull it up right now and just give you a little bit of info on what they have there. It's just amazing. Okay, let's see if now, we can get this now. As you're talking, uh, I was thinking, so I'll bounce it off of you. Um, I was thinking to extend the reach of uh, the four elements, you know, these initiatives. And um, right. you've been the source of many synchronicities in my life. And uh, this is one of them because uh, that, this was something that I was starting to focus on uh, when I did Mythic Atlantis before I uh, met you. And it didn't seem to be coming wow. together. Uh, but now with you, it's coming together. So that is an awesome thing. Um, but uh, create a um, email group so that people can get the petitions and they can get the information. So beyond what's on Facebook, um, we can put together uh, one of those uh, things we could send around. And we just, if anybody's interested or if you know anybody's interested, we can include their names. And then this way- That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I just pulled up their site and it says, know your environment, protect your health. And it talks a little bit about um, the latest information from them. It says a news roundup. Then it also has here the tap water database and the nonstick, nonstick chemical faint that I was just talking about before. Um, and there's a whole section up there. There's another thing about the PFA's exposure and risk, uh, increasing the risk of cancer. And then it breaks down. There's a bar there that says all children's health toxics, consumer products, energy, farming, food, water. So you can go to that particular topic and then find subtopics uh, like the Clean and Healthy Living Leadership Summit, the EWG Skin Deep Guide to Cosmetics, the Guide to Sunscreens, uh, PFA Chemicals, the Forever Chemicals in 99% of Americans, the Action Center, so that if you have a particular issue you care about, you can take action through them. Uh, the next level of energy, the again, the tap water database, how safe is your drinking water, uh, the guide to pesticides, we've talked about that already, the healthy home, how to avoid health-harming chemicals in the home. It is 
amazing. And again, as I said, the filter guide, and we know that the Dirty Dozen guide is on there. Farm subsidy databases, that's interesting. So there is a lot on that site, and I'm sure they probably have a Facebook page as well. But uh, the way this is laid out, yes, they do. They have Facebook. They're on quite a few things. Pinterest, you can go on to their site and then see where you'd like to take it, what's the best uh, form for you in terms of accessing the information. That sounds awesome. And, uh, of course, I will share this information again, uh, but I'll also start putting together a Facebook group uh, for those who want to get more involved and also a uh, oh, sure. email letter or, or newsletter that we can start sending out. Um, and of course, because I'm a mythic person, it'll have a mythic uh, overtone. So um, wonderful. Let's get Venus on that shell. <laughs> I do want to mention something that just happened today, and and this will get into what well, we've talked about the websites, but we haven't mentioned some bills. I mean, we did mention that horrific rollback of the EPA's. Uh, Yes. Clean Water Act, and that's something that people can get in touch with their senators, their you know representatives. Make your feelings known. But there, Bob Menendez, who is one of our two senators, is an amazing man. He was solely responsible for pressing FEMA to reopen the Sandy uh, Hurricane Sandy claims when they were uh-huh. closing it, and people were feeling so destitute, things weren't getting resolved, and he, with him pushing. It resulted in an additional $260 million to, you know, be put forth for people to have a resolution to these homes that were destroyed and just were not being taken care of. But he didn't stop there. He is just led a bipartisan group to look into the National Flood Insurance Program. So what he's doing is he wants a new comprehensive legislation to extend the National Flood Insurance Program for five additional years and institute a series of sweeping reforms to address the waste, abuse, and mismanagement which affected the system. And some of the amendments involved that that he uh, is looking to have included is affordability of premiums for low- and middle-income policyholders, looking at funding mitigation, Improving flood risk assessment, because, you know, they had that map that's involved, and it's not quite accurate anymore. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. reform the whole claims process, because that was horrific for those poor people that went through that hurricane. Um, also bolstered the solvency of the NFIP by addressing unsustainable debt burden. Look mm-hmm. at the in- inaccurate flood maps and redistrict them, because they were all off. And also look at contract profiteering, where people made major money, didn't do the job that they said they were going to do, and people were getting had contractors that didn't even do what they said they were going to do, took the money, dropped a few supplies off, and left these people destitute and without a home. Yeah, a lot of uh, that seems to be going on globally. <laughs> You're not kidding. Yeah, and and that's, as we always say, you know, it's so important to research and get the information 
Not an easy thing to do because there's no. so much information out there, which is why I applaud your efforts in putting these things together to have people access things. So people say, well, how do I know if my drinking water is contaminated? Well, we have this information that will help you, you know, find out if you're using a good filter. Is the filter really good? If you're worried about the area you're in and the particular chemicals and particulates in it, well, uh, then go to this one site and see what, what they what the research that's being done and what tends to be in the area. It's a great thing. Yeah, yes, it definitely is. And I believe having all that information in one place uh, and uh, repeating information on occasions of uh, yes. websites are still going to be there, uh, it'll have everything people need convenient for them. Um, so they'll know which uh, petitions to sign. They'll know which uh, websites contain reliable information. They'll know what to call their uh, uh, leadership about. So it'll be a very helpful resource. Most definitely, most definitely. And um, it is important to have your voice heard by signing these petitions. Find out who your representative is and how to locate them and to find out the committee assignments of people that do affect a certain element that you're concerned about. I mean, if you go to house.gov, greater than representatives, you can enter your zip code and they'll give you the name, the phone number, right. their committee assignment. These are the ways to access people, and they're usually your email, and there are phone numbers. You can call and leave messages. They will listen, and numbers mean a lot, because being a union delegate, at one time I, I had politicians tell me, well, we didn't hear that much from our constituency, so it must not have mattered. Numbers matter. If it means that much to you, rather than, you know, just say, well, I'll let someone else do it. No, it comes down to each one of us being responsible in terms of having our voice heard. Very true. Uh, a politician recently wrote a book. I, let me see if I can uh, uh, get to Amazon quickly to locate it. Um, but uh, uh, the gist of the book was uh, how to empower people to make a difference. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and let's see, here it is. It's somewhere here in my uh, order sometime soon, long order sometime soon list. Here it is. John Case. <laughs> It's up to us, and it's 10 little ways we can bring about big change. And I heard oh, him talk wow. talk show, and uh, he talks about how um, young people started these massive movements that are making a difference because they felt strongly about something, yes. and they were willing to yes. stand up for what they believed or what they thought needed done, and it, like, uh, avalanched from there. So, uh um, that is a great uh, uh, book, and today when I was organizing books, I found another book uh, in my collection called One Person Can Make a Difference, uh, wow. and that's very true, too. There are a lot of examples in, in the book, but it, it's basically knowing what you feel strongly about and and letting your voice be heard, and you'd be amazed how powerful your voice uh uh, carries and how much it might resonate with other people. Most definitely. And the name of the author again, Hercules? I will get it right here. It's, it's up to us. John Kasich, K-A-S-I-C-H, and it's right. called It's Up to Us. Great. Definitely, because, you know, I've I've seen, and I'm sure we all have seen situations where 
one vote made a difference in a local election? Right. Two votes. I saw it on the union level. It made a major difference <laughs> where someone became a president because of not because of people voting, of those that chose not to vote because of apathy or laziness. They just they felt that their vote didn't make that much of a difference, and and oh that person will get in no matter what. <laughs> it's the same with the phone calls. When you're calling and they you can't even get into the voicemail because it's so cool. overloaded already. That's wonderful. It's wonderful because that means enough people thought about this to make a difference, you know. And 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 yes, they're in control, but. Not if we allow them to be in control of doing all these things. And again, we brought up that the incident of and poor Vernon, how for how many years they fought with that dumping, and that was a matter of the uh, or the, the element of earth. And now with the, them constantly complaining and get grouping together and being relentless with the EPA in New Jersey. Then had Josh Gottheimer, who is magnificent. He really is a great representative he well he has these uh have coffee with josh you know he goes to the different diners to hear about all all the different uh, issues and what matters well he listened to them he got in touch with the epa and as you know and as our listeners know from other um podcasts the the epa reversed their decision on him but they actually stepped up the action rather than letting it take a while Find him now. He has a jail sentence. They're also now. I, I I just read somewhere about a week ago that they're going to start uh, taking some of his funds because of the fact he's going to have to make reparation for any damage to the ground and get rid of that big mound of tainted soil. So you can make a difference, and uh, water being so important. And for- we're unfortunately at the end of our. Uh- uh, adventure for today, but yeah. uh, this is a great uh, start to a new series. So Most thank you, definitely. And, Most definitely. Uh, and I will be sending you some of these sites for our, our our interested listeners because even if they just jot them down somewhere or just return to it, you never know when you're going to be in that situation. Like I said to my husband last night, when the power went out yet again due to fallen trees somewhere, um, and we're having to find get the generator, because you know it was a World Series game, and get the generator going, all of a sudden it's like, well, do I have this? Is that ready? And, and I remember saying to him, well, I guess we need to get the gutters fixed because the water's dripping us as we're doing it, and it's best to be prepared before Correct. you need it. Not when it's the time of. And it's the same with the snowblowers. You know, service everything beforehand because then you're in a situation where you will be helpless or unable to help yourself or be proactive during the situation. So it's great that we have you to start us off on this uh, new quest. And I'll be opening up to anybody who wants to be a part of this. I certainly will be. Um, and uh, I'll be adding my own mythical uh, uh, tones to it. Uh, but Which actually, I love. <laughs> you're awesome, and I look forward to our next uh, conversation. Uh, that will be another element, but of course, as we said before, they overlap, they interconnect like everything's interconnected in life. 
Indeed. Uh, Thanks again. And uh, we're going to take a brief break. We're going to listen to King of Dreams, Barbaran Kordorian, and then we'll be back with Mythic Gaming.
Greetings and welcome back to Voice of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and I am honored to announce our next segment, Mythic Gaming. Tim Espy and Zach McAtee will be joining us in a few minutes. Uh, our guest is Diane Soar of Shoot Again Games. Greetings and welcome, Diane. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great, and you have great games. <laughs> so I'm very curious to find out uh, uh, about the journey that led you to uh, creating them. Would you care to share a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, as far as uh, everything goes, I'm, I've been gaming since I, back in high school, back in the mm-hmm. late 70s, early 80s. I've always been a you know, gamer way before it was cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and... And my husband also same thing. He he was goes back to you know back to high school since he was gaming. We did role playing. We did board games. Did all that kind of stuff. And as somebody that game for so for so long over time, you 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 always kind of want to dip your hand into first maybe tinkering with a game, you know, but then eventually coming up with your own games. Um, mm-hmm. That wasn't something like I made games. Um, but you, back then, you couldn't really get them produced. The print runs were too huge, too expensive. Very few people could print them, et cetera. There was a lot of problems that made them impossible until about five or six years ago when, you know, I learned about um, you know crowdfunding through Kickstarter and printing costs with, you know, obviously with computers and electronics and everything. They had become way down. It was much more um, within reach to actually get a game produced. Um, and that's that's kind of how, you know, finally a game that I had been working on for like 10 plus years, I find, finally got to, to get it produced and got it on Kickstarter and got it sold. And that kind of started the journey. And since then, we've made um, five other games, plus a couple of expansions and stuff, too. Uh, it is awesome. And they're quirky games. Uh, you have games on uh, cryptids. You have games on conspiracy theories. You have games on lost continents. Uh, so uh, all of those things are right up my alley and within a uh, sphere of interest. Did you care to take us on a stroll through your catalog? Yeah, that's what um, I grew up and maybe you might have, I guess, might have too. Like when I was a kid, like the, the one of the cool things was, you know, um, when I was really young, like, like very, you know, there was Chariots of the Gods and all yes. that stuff is when I, when I first learned about, like, some of these kind of things. And then, of course, there was Leonard E. Moy's um, In Search Of um, mm-hmm. that that I, I loved. And I watched that and learned about giant squids and Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and all kinds, you know, all, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, and a little bit, I guess, not too much after that, there was, like, Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke. Had mysterious worlds, um, and there's a lot of kind of shows and interest, I guess, in those kind of things. And so I, I really grew up on them. So that's a theme that I've I've come back to a lot. All of our games. Um, one of the things that just about the company in general, and, and what my husband and I do, is we always look. We don't. We look for like themes you don't normally see. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want this. You know, we don't want to do another train game. Not that there's anything wrong with a train game. <laughs> um, uh-huh. You know, but. You know, but we, you know, we we're trying to come up with, okay, you're a cryptozoologist. That's not a theme you see all the time. You know, you're a conspiracy no. theorist trying to prove your, th- trying to prove your conspiracy theories. Um, you're a pinball inside of a pinball machine. Like that's the kind of stuff, you know, that, that we try to 
come come up with your super with most recent games your superhero that that lost your government funding and you have to go out and try to get a real job. That, that is uh, that is funny. I, I remember uh, Zach had brought it up, and Zach shared how he got into gaming through uh, hanging out with you, and uh, that that ignited his passion for gaming. And Zach now does uh, a lot of really creative variations of role-playing games and board games and, and so forth. Um, so those are all fascinating uh, concepts, and I, I like your uh, Atlantis uh, concept of looting Atlantis. Uh, right. Yes, exactly. And, That's uh, another one. That was one of our early ones. Yep, yeah. I run um, games at uh, our local library uh, once a month now. I used to do it more often. Uh, but uh, um, I told the kids about some of your games, and they were really interested because we're, we're basically adventuring in mythology. Uh, they were really right. interested in moving Atlantis while it sank. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Cool. Very enamored of the concept. So how did cool. the idea for looting Atlantis while it was sinking uh, come to you? Um, well, that was that that like that that main idea w- w- was um, my was mainly my husband's idea the, for the looting Atlantis game. That was um, he he came up with the initial concept, um, uh-huh. and and so so that when you I'm trying to remember what he said. Specifically, I think basically the, just the idea was that you know everybody else would be running, and, and that's not what he would do. He wouldn't run because he'd, he'd know that he'd get stuck in some crappy place like you know Egypt, <laughs> ancient Egypt. You know, this is you know you know ancient Egypt or China or some some backwater place compared to, to Atlantis. And so he mm-hmm. would go and make sure he grabbed technology so that he could really set himself up well when he got there. Um, and that was kind of the, the initial idea, um, and I don't know if you've seen a picture of it, but it's kind of laid out around the island of Atlantis, and there's 80 cards on the, on the table at once, and it's just, it's like really visually interesting. Um, and uh, so those were the kind of the initial sparks, I guess. And you don't have a physical store; you have an, uh, an Amazon uh, store, I believe. Yeah, we have we sell on Amazon and we have a website. We have a website. Um, also, um, most of our games are in distribution, so some okay. stores will, will have them. I, I drop in uh, um, to level one games, and uh, Tim has said that uh, uh, you've uh, playtested some of your games uh, there. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, we we always well, playtest them. <laughs> Pretty much in the east, a lot of the northeast. You know, we've been around to a lot of the stores and all the gaming conventions and places like that. And uh, it's always good to get people people involved in the process because when you're make, I guess maybe I don't know if that's how unique that that is to game design. Because I'm thinking uh-huh. a lot of other things. You, you don't really you don't really get like if I was going to do a painting, I don't really usually get anybody else's pen input. I just make the painting. Um, um, but in game design, you really want different views and different people to look at what, you, what you're doing and to see because there's some things that you know it's very hard to judge, you know, because you're so close to it. Um, and like a very typical mistake I'll see like a lot of games is the rule books will be terrible. Um, because 
they didn't take the time to get other people to play it and read the rule book and learn it themselves. And right. you know, you 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 get this in your head. You you have because you've been working with it for so long. You know, there's this assumption that oh, everybody knows what X term means. And then, then you, you know, it never gets explained in the rule book, and somebody else picks up the rule book and goes, "What does that mean?" And they keep saying this, and I don't know what it is. You know, so that, so yeah, that's there kind of a lot of unclear rule books over the years, even in video games and computer games. Sometimes, sure, uh, right, uh, they don't make sense or they're not very uh, helpful. Um, like you, I haven't I haven't sold any games, but I've run games uh, since the dawn of the role playing game uh, hobby, and. Uh, um, I loved uh, fantasy board games like Dark Tower and Talisman. You know, those were the oh, yeah. games I like to play. And I know that after playing for a while, you make up your own rules, you know, to try to tweak the game and make it better. And then eventually it's almost unrecognizable. Sure, <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, game. And uh, I've often thought, too, as you guys did, yeah, hmm, this is so different than the original game. Maybe I should make my own game. So uh, you're sharing this information is inspiring me now to pursue that dream a little bit. So, how did Yeti versus Bigfoot come about? Um, Yeti versus Bigfoot, um, the first game um, that, that I had done it was a cryptic game called Legends and Lies, um, okay. and it was just just kind of a proof of concept um, game. It was much simpler than Bigfoot Yeti, but it had cryptids. Um, it had some of the the basic mechanics, and it, again, it was based on all that stuff that, that I knew as a kid. Um, but I, in between, I had done Conspiracy, and I said, you know, mm-hmm. really, we should I should come up with something to to, to make make the, you know, the cryptids more interesting and give them abilities and stuff like that. And one of the things that always kind of struck me as funny is that Bigfoot and Yeti, they're kind of like two sides of the same of the same coin. But right. it, but it usually seems to me, uh, you know, maybe less so recently, but the Bigfoot usually is he's he's the guy that gets all all the press and Yeti's kind of like, you know, an afterthought. So, so in my mind, I thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if they had a rivalry? Uh-huh. You know, where, you know, where, where, where Yeti's kind of jealous of of his cousin, cousin Bigfoot. You know, and so, you know, so there, there was kind of rivalry. And so, I wanted to work that as a game mechanic into a game where you'd have all the other cryptids participating. You know, Loch Ness monster, Mothman, Jersey Devil, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But. One of the big things would be this battle between Bigfoot and Yeti, and each round, only either Bigfoot would win or Yeti would win. Uh, and depending on which one won, that would be the one that scored points. Like if, if Bigfoot won the battle, then Bigfoot would score points for his car- for his Bigfoot cards, and if Yeti won, then then Yeti would score. And everybody could participate in this battle and pick a side. Hmm. That sounds like a lot of uh, fun. And how about being a pinball in a pinball machine? Uh, that's very um, intriguing. Well, well um, my my main business um, for the last 15 years has been restoring old pinball machines. Okay. And so it's always been something, you know, like when I really got into designing games, that I said, you know, at some point I've got to get to a pinball game because there isn't one. Literally, you can go to like the games database, the board game geek, which is like the games database, and you type in pinball, and there's 
There's nothing. There's like, you know, something like pinball soccer, where they use pinball as a verb, verb, like, you know, pinball soccer or something like that. But it's not really anything to do with pinball. Um, so for years, I tried different pinball-related games. I tried games where um, you would you would run an arcade during the 80s. You'd run a pinball parlor during the 80s, you know. And I tried where you were the pinball player trying to play a pinball trying to play a pinball game, make the pinball machine and play it kind of thing. But none of these never actually worked for me. So mm-hmm. I kept on putting it on the shelf, putting it on the shelf, putting it on the shelf. And then, honestly, like one morning, I woke up and I just said to myself, you are the pinball. And that was, you know, that that was like the, the, the thing that that was the breakthrough. It was like, I, it literally changed everything. And I just, that day, sat down, wrote the game out, made a playtest deck. And when my husband got home from work, I'm like, sit down, I want you to play this. <laughs> I, I, think I've, I think I have it. I mean, it, and really, 80% of it was there, um, but, you know, you know in, that, in that first day. Um, but, of course, there was years before that, before the idea finally popped into my head and how to do it. You know, because I wanted, I wanted something to make you feel pinball you have like a it's important for for me and for my husband with like all of our games that it has mm-hmm. you know like i mean, we've all played games where okay it's i don't know the walking dead game okay and it's just you know old made with walking dead characters or something or something you know, uh-huh. you know you know it doesn't really feel anything like you're playing you're in the walking dead world um so i always want our games to be like Okay, I have I have the flavor for what this is. I have a little feeling about it. I have an emotional attachment to it. And that's and that was kind of it, especially with pinball being so near and dear to my heart. I really wanted that feeling. And the greatest compliments I, that I get are from pinball players. They're like, I didn't think you could make a pinball game that would give you give you that that feeling, you know. Um, and uh, I, th- I think I think I did. <laughs> Wow, that that is awesome. I, and it's very philosophical too. Uh, you are the pinball. That's worthy of uh, meditating on uh, you know, to get uh, uh, some deep uh, insights. Well, you know, it's one of the big problems with making a pinball game was if you make a game where you play a pinball machine. Well, when you play a pinball machine, you play it by yourself. I mean, you might play. You know, each player takes a turn, um, but it, you really play the game by yourself and your game has no relationship to the to next players. Um, but if you're the pinball and you're all in the, and you're in multi-ball where all the pinballs are on the play field at once, then you're, then everything you're doing is related to other people and other pinballs. Wow. That, that sounds like a fascinating uh, game to try. And how about your superhero um, working uh, at a regular job? How did that idea come about? Um, that, that's called that game's called Born to Serve, um, and it, the initial concept my husband on that one he he had the idea. He said, "What if you know during the recession, you know what would happen if you were a superhero working? You know, you're going to you're a small time superhero, small small time supergroup, and your government funded funded group that's protecting a small city or a small town, and you lose your funding because of the recession. And now what do you do? Um, and that developed into the idea that all the heroes were trying to compete for one job um, at the local restaurant slash diner 
for a waiter, waiter or waitress job. And they all can use their powers, of course, to get the best tips. And whoever gets the best tips at the end of the day gets the job. And that was that was the 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 the, the basic concept. And uh, again, you know, definitely not a typical concept. But uh, yeah, <laughs> oh. that that yeah. Um, that was it, and all, all the all the all the all the guys have uh, all the characters have powers, and that was a really neat one. That's what that's the most recent one that just came out a couple months ago to work on because we're both also comic book collectors. So we got to I got to work with a comic book artist. Um, we actually awesome. scripted a page, one page out of a comic book that tells the backstory of the of the superhero group. And and how they you know they get the, they get the news that they they've lost their job and now they have to compete and you know, they've lost their funding, um, and so we actually got to script it and do rough sketches and have an art artist bring it to life. It was really cool to see that. It's on the back of the um, on the back of the rule book. There's a one page comic book um, that 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 shows that and shows the characters and yeah. Well, our our time together is nearing its uh, close and. Uh, uh, Tim and Zach are here. You're welcome to hang out if you'd like. Uh, um, you don't have to go. Um, but uh, before we invite them in, um, how can folks uh, find out more about uh, your company, Shoot Again Games, and all the cool games that it has available? Um, you can go to uh, shootagaingames.com. That's our main site. Um, if you're on Facebook or Shoot Again Games, on, Twi- on Twitter, it's at Shoot Again Games. So it's Really, really pretty easy. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Dan. I want to learn well, more, and you are welcome to come back whenever you guys have a new game uh, to uh, promote. Oh, well, very cool. Thank, thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, we don't have time for a musical interlude, so we will just invite uh, um, Zach and Tim into the conversation. Greetings and welcome, gentlemen. How are you today? Greetings, hello, how are you? Uh, I'm doing phenomenally well And uh, Zach, thank you for setting up uh, this interview with Diane It was very fascinating and uh, gave me lots uh, of insights And uh, uh, rekindled the dreams that I put down on the shelf So thank you for setting that up Well, I'm glad you two hit it off So, thank you Uh, Tim, what is new with Level 1 Games and in your gaming universes? Uh, over here at level one, we're still uh, still kicking with the new magic set that came out. Uh, a new Pokemon set just came out today um, for local game stores, so you can get it a week early. Um, so if you want that, it's called Pokemon Cosmic Eclipse. There's a bunch of cool cards in there, um, so you can get it a week early at local game stores. And it officially releases on Friday. But, uh, but yeah, so we've been promoting that and doing that and uh, staying busy. And uh, I'm looking forward to Theros coming out. I missed it the first time it was out, so I figured I'd catch it uh, the second time it comes out. Yeah, I'm really excited for that one. And, uh, Zach, how about with you? Uh, You're running several uh, games that are very quirky and creative. Uh, What are you currently running? The one we most recently played was uh, Dread, the system that uses a Jenga tower instead of dice. And uh, we did a little Halloween early Halloween game here at the store. So the uh-huh. idea was the party was a group of archaeologists heading down to Chile who were excavating ancient Inca child mummy sacrifices. And on their way okay. back, after finishing the expedition, 
they accidentally stumbled upon this ancient Inca mining village. And so through exploring that, they ended up encountering all these creatures from Chilean mythology. Uh, it was very interesting because I had to study up and learn about the mythology of the area because I wanted to do something outside of my wheelhouse. And uh, mm-hmm. I really like a lot of the creatures and, and spirits that they have. That is fascinating. I don't think I know very much about the Chilean mythology. I might have learned a little bit in my journeys, but uh, I've tended to stick uh, mostly to uh, European mythology uh, with some notable exceptions. So how is Chilean mythology different uh, from the other mythologies? It mostly pulls from the uh, the ancient Inca and Mayan. So okay. it's got that very similar to like the Nordic like myths and cultures, that sort of sense of fatalism and uh, always trying to just stave off the apocalypse, but it's coming and you can only stave it off so long. You know, several of them uh, believe that the apocalypse has happened already and this is like the third or fourth iteration of the world. It just keeps going around and around until we get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, the creatures were very interesting and, and you really see how they come from the culture. So like the one, and I'm probably butchering the pronunciations, uh, but it's called the Hulapenyi, and it's a sickly goat with the head of a cow, and its breath is this poisonous fog that kills plants and sickens animals and will physically mutate people. So you can see how before we had the science and everything to explain, people being born with deformities, crops suddenly dying because of insects coming in, this is an explanation for these things that they couldn't explain. Well, that's fascinating. That's different enough from uh, what uh, someone is likely to encounter uh, from uh, Monster Manual uh, in more traditional games that are based on uh, Northwestern European uh, uh, mythic concepts. So that that must be very exciting. Um, What do players without a background in uh, Chilean mythology, how do they react to these beings? How quick are they to figure out uh, um, how to defeat them or how to work with them? It was uh, it was fun watching them stumble. I'll say that. <laughs> okay. They, they, a lot of them operate by different rules than you're used to. So like the one, it's uh, it's El Culebron or Viboron. It's essentially a giant hairy anaconda that uh, it will use sonar to seek out buried treasure, hoard it, and kill anyone who tries to take the treasure. But for some reason, it's weak to alcohol. <laughs> Just out okay. of nowhere. And so, like, uh, they actually got lucky when they first encountered it. It had been by a house they burnt down, and they were in the wreckage of the house, and they found a bottle of alcohol, threw it to distract it because it was blind and hunting by sonar. So when it investigated the shattered bottle, they saw it recoil from the alcohol, and they were like, we're going to go raid the bar. (laughs) (laughs) So Diane is still with us. Diane, will there be an expansion a Chilean expansion to uh, Yeti versus Bigfoot with uh, Chilean monsters. <laughs> it, it, it certainly, certainly is possible. I, I don't know much about the, the Chilean mythology either, so that's kind of an interesting subject. Yeah, the, the, I, I bet uh, until somebody's encountered those monsters a few times, they won't know what to make of them because they're so different than uh, uh, the dragons and the other uh, creatures, the elves and the dwarves and. Uh, uh, so on that we're, we're used to now. There was one in particular that almost killed Tim. Tim, you want to talk about that one? 
which one? Uh, the, the goat one always sticks out in my mind from the, the best uh, imagery I had. Uh, El Cuero, the one you met in the tunnel. Oh, right, the one that was, it was a, uh, it looked like a tanned cowhide that had uh, a uh, mosquito-like uh, appendage at its at its center mass with eyes for, or stalks that had eyes on top. Um, it was, uh, it was an interesting one, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> so how, how did you fear against it? Um, that one I managed to get away from, and I believe we burned that one. Um, the, the one that got me was, uh, I don't know, how, how do you say it? The, the, the dolphin. Encantado. Yeah. Um, that one uh, lured me beneath the water and half transformed me into a, a dolphin-like thing. So it was, uh, it was, it, it certainly was interesting. Yes, you don't hear people being transformed into dolphin-type things uh, very often in games. No. <laughs> um, now we've talked in the past about how uh, gaming is a, a good thing to get involved in because it teaches you how to think outside your normal box because the type of situations that you normally encounter in a game are different than the ones you would encounter in uh, quote-unquote real life and you know in uh, uh, our conventional society so it frees you up creatively because you're encountering things you're not likely to encounter using skills that you're not likely to uh, possess uh, in your more man- mundane manifestations. So um, I found that using uh, games over the years, um, it helps free the mind more so than many other uh, um, pastimes because it's not something you do uh, passively and it's not something you do where you're hyper-focused on the moment. So it involves like developing a, a character with another life in another world and then operating from the reality within uh, that world. Um, how has gaming freed your mind? For me personally, it's um, like it helps me get out of like like I'm I'm a good talker when I'm talking for you know myself, but being a character, I'm not super comfortable with. Um, mm-hmm. So doing stuff like that helps me, you know, be a little bit more. You know, not I guess open. I guess you know a little more comfortable. You know, being something else or somebody different. Because um, like I said, I'm comfortable talking with people. You know, on podcasts and in the store and stuff. But that's just me. Um, so it helps right. me. You know, be like, I guess open. I guess is a little more is the word. I guess. Thanks, Zach. I think mostly it really just helps you with the idea of using your imagination to reach out to other people. And so for me, it's always been a tool to connect with people and say, hey, this is the idea in my head. Let's share it together. Picture what I'm picture, and I want you to work with it. So it not only helps you release from real life and get away from what might be bothering you, trying on a new pair of shoes, but it helps you see how fun it is to work and collaborate to create something completely new with people you may know, people that might be strangers, at the end of it, you feel like you know everyone a little bit better. Very powerfully and profoundly uh, said. That is awesome. Um, unfortunately, tonight's show is uh, you know, a little short. 
Um, and uh, I want to read a review in closing, uh, but I'd like uh, to give you a chance to let people know how they can connect with your worlds. Uh, so we'll start with Tim. Tim, how can folks find you in Level 1 Games and get involved with all the wonderful things you're doing in the store? So best way is through Facebook or Instagram at Level 1 Games or Level1Games.com has links for all that. Um, and uh, if you reach out, generally it'll be me that responds. Um, so be on the lookout. Uh, next time we talk, I'll have more info. There's some secret stuff in the works right now, whether with uh, awesome. some sales coming up and uh, some some other secret things. But next time we talk, it'll be more fleshed out. Uh, so keep an eye out on the website and Facebook and Instagram for all that. I could I could hardly wait. Uh, that sounds very mysterious and promising. Uh, oh yeah, things. yeah, that's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> and Zach, how about with you? Uh, the easiest way to reach me is uh, just through finding me through Facebook. I don't really have too much uh, too much of an online presence. <laughs> okay, but, but you are there and you are reachable. Um, I think I might have shared with uh, Tim. Uh, I will soon be making videos. So I definitely want to get uh, level one, uh, you know, in there in one of the videos. Uh, so that's something I'll be talking to you guys about. And uh, um, I've started doing uh, reviews that are still my website uh, here on the show. Uh, so since, since this is Mythic Gaming, uh, I'll do a quick review. This is uh, for Hera and Zeus by Rio Grande Games. The tension and hostility between Zeus and Hera plays itself out on the panoramic field of Greek mythology especially in the lives of those half-mortals who sprang from Zeus's loins. In deference to deific propriety, the king and queen of Olympus would seldom attack each other directly, but would manipulate people and events in order to foil each other's plans. In Hera and Zeus, the two-player dueling card contest from Rio Grande Games, you and a friend assume the roles of these powerful immortals. Each is taken hostage... Zeus has Argus and Hera has Io that the other favors, and both would move heaven and earth to get them back. The Pantheon, major and minor, is yours to command, though some Olympians have chosen sides. Apollo is for Zeus, Artemis is for Hera, Poseidon for Zeus, Dionysus, Hades, Persephone, Pandora, and Nemesis are for Hera. Powerful mortals will jump in to join the fray. Heroes favor Zeus, and Amazon's favor Hera, and the oracular Pythia is there to inform both. Fabulous beasts will also serve you well, should you deploy them wisely. Medusa, Pegasus, and the Sirens will serve anyone, while the giants, Cyclops, and Centaurs will answer only to Zeus, and the Hydra, Harpy, and Fury will only carry on Hera's will. The core game is easy to learn and simple to play. Basically, the highest number deployed wins the round, as in the card game War. But the special abilities of each card in relation to certain other cards allows for infinite subtle variations in strategy and unexpected turnabouts and fortune. Don't fret. Useful summary cards are provided as a handy reference until you've mastered these complexities. An example, you can use your sirens to seduce an opponent's allies into joining your side. As in poker, the cards on the table may hint at your hand or lull your opponent into a false sense of security. 
and many of the finest gaming elements of CCGs were also woven into this superior game. The cards are beautiful to behold, and lots of care and attention were went into the packaging. Each player is even given a wooden piece painted in Zeus or Hera's team colors and embossed with the deity's countenance. This, too, is used cleverly in play, by the way, sometime in conjunction with Pegasus, who can remove your deity from the field. I highly recommend Hera and Zeus as a stimulating and educational way to spend 40 or 50 minutes. Um, and once played, the god game is addictive. Mortals take heed. And uh, we have two minutes left, so I will ask each of you for a last piece of wisdom about gaming to offer audience. I will start with Diane. Oh, gaming wisdom. Um, be open to trying new stuff. You would... Even things that maybe like may not you may not think interest you, you would be surprised sometimes how much fun you can have playing them. Thank you, uh, Tim. Yeah, to, to piggyback off what Diane said, um, it's not as uh, overwhelming as a lot of people think that it is. Um, so you just got to jump in, and it's uh, it's really easy to pick up. A lot of the games are made for newer players, so it's uh, it's not a daunting task to jump in. It's a lot of fun. Thank you very much. And Zach? I would say that one of the most important things is always remember the number one rule is try and make everyone have fun. You don't need to be the best. You don't need to know every rule, but as long as you're having fun and you're helping other people enjoy a good time, you're doing all right. Uh, thank you, and thanks to all of you once again. You're awesome, and I can't wait till the next uh, Mythic uh, Gaming Show. And to those who've joined us from home, thank you. We all wish you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Until next time, be well. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>